Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, and whether you call Collective your church home or you are just checking us out, we hope you are encouraged and inspired to take the next step in your journey toward the grace and truth of Jesus. For more information about Collective, you can visit us online at mycollective.church or follow us on social media at mycollectivechurch. Now, let's get into today's message. This past spring semester, my wife and I taught Financial Peace University, FPU. And FPU is a faith-based curriculum designed to help you implement wise decisions into your life or your family's life. And we're going to be teaching that again coming up here starting next month. And this is a subject that I'm wildly passionate about. I love talking about money. And it doesn't matter if your credit card is out of control, your debt, you have no idea how to manage a budget, or if you're saying, hey, I want to make sure I'm retiring well and setting up my kids for success in the future. This class is for everybody across the spectrum. Sign-ups are going to start today after service in the lobby. I'll be out there at the iPads to talk to you about it, ask, answer any questions that you may have. It does cost $100 to cover the cost of materials, and we're going to cap it at 15 individuals or couples. It's going to start Monday, June 17th, and run consecutively for eight sessions on Monday night. So if you want to sign up, you can do that in the lobby after service. But to start off with today, sometimes being a Christian sucks. Sometimes being a Christian man sucks. And let me tell you why by telling you about what got me through our attic renovation. We just six days ago sold our house, but for the last several months before that, we part hired out, part did ourselves an attic renovation, which really means I did six or seven things wrong, went back to Lowe's for the 27th time that day, talked to Joe again and said, hi again. And he knows my kids now because that's a real true story. Me and Joe are tight. And I would leave and I would say, probably see you in about two hours, Joe. Finally go home, do something right, which is why this project took so long. It started last summer when it was 100 degrees in an attic with no air conditioning all through winter and then back again. And finally, it was finished. And a few months ago, it was about 1030 at night. My wife and I are up there working after we put the kids to bed. And I tell her about this dream that I have. It's getting me through the whole project. We knew we were moving to a new apartment complex, and one of the buildings at the complex has an awesome view of the sunset. You can see the rolling hills, and it's very green, and the sunset's right behind you. I could sit on our back porch and watch the sunset and do absolutely nothing. Put the girls to bed, have some frosted animal crackers, because I'm still a big kid at heart, and a line and Kugel summer shandy beer, crisp, Light and refreshing emphasis on the light, of course. I don't like the dark beers. I mean, seriously, some of those things have more alcohol content than I have muscle mass, like sideways, and I'm gone. I struggle to pick this thing up and put it on stage when I have to preach to you. These baby boas are going to get swallowed up by the rain after the worms come out. (laughs) Judge me all you want to. I don't care. I like the light stuff. But I would sit there take in my sunset, think about all the hard work, the late nights, the frustration, the loss of sleep, the wasted money of doing things wrong, and enjoy my peace and serenity. That was my dream, and I was working very hard towards that dream, and when it came time to take that dream, I gave it up. It must have taken something pretty compelling for me to give that up. It must have taken honor. 
Honor is what Michael introduced us to last week. And if you weren't here, honor very simply means treating other people as uncommon. And we established that base of the foundation for this series. So now that we know what honor is, we want to move into who do we honor? Who is worthy of being treated as uncommon? And to jump right in, I'm going to give you a really easy answer. If you are a familiar face, I'm talking to you. Doesn't matter if you come every week, every other week, once a month, whatever. If you're a familiar face and people know who you are, I'm talking to you. And if this is your first time here, you came on a really great day because you get to check out some of the culture of Collective. You should honor your church staff. They didn't know I was going to do this. <laughs> I didn't tell anybody but the guy in the back running slides. And I know Michael's freaking out somewhere because he has no control right now. Uh, but... <laughs> For the next few minutes, you're going to see slides of our staff on the screen behind me. You're going to see their faces. You're going to become familiar with who they are. They work incredibly hard for you, this staff does, and they may feel uncomfortable me positively calling them out, but I don't care. I have the microphone today, so I'm going to do it. And let me just say, I've been friends with Michael for 15 years. My wife, Rachel, and I were the fifth and sixth members of this church. We were here when this was just a prayer and a dream in a living room with six people. We ran the connections team for several months. Now my wife is in charge of the finance team. I am a small group leader. I'm also on our leadership calls. We know intimately the details and the work of this church. Your church staff have meetings in the evening because that's most convenient for us. But that comes at the expense of their family time. Your church staff are underpaid. Dave Ramsey, the big author and voice behind the financial peace class that we teach, he says it best when he says, church staff today are vastly underpaid. This means they don't go to nice dinners as much as they want to. They don't take vacations at all or take the vacations they wish that they could take. When they buy a house, it becomes a really hard, stressful process because of financial constraints. And just honestly, here at Collective, it's roughly a 50-50 split between full-time and part-time with our staff because we don't have enough money to pay people a full-time salary and benefits that they deserve. Beyond the money, they're mentally exhausted and physically tired. Try writing a sermon virtually every week and preaching that sermon while also leading a growing team. Or go hang out with 50 kids for a few hours. Tell me how you feel at 1.30 this afternoon. Be in charge of all the details outside in the parking lot and inside. We personally did that job and can speak to how hard that is. And maybe you're like, okay, I get it. Their job's hard. Check. Got it. Do something nice for them. Cool. So when, yes, when we honor our church staff, we want to do it in a way that is helpful and breathes life rather than taking away. So here's a few suggestions of what not to do and a few suggestions of what to do. Do not offer to babysit their kids. No offense, but if I don't know you, I'm not leaving my kids with you. Don't offer to have them over to your house for dinner unless you regularly do so. And you may think, like, wait a minute, what? Like, that's the American thing to do. You have people over for a nice meal, and you talk, and you get to know each other. But if they lead and go to small groups, if they spend time investing in their teams and their separate environments throughout the week, go on hospital visits, and generally care for people who are in need, usually nights and weekends, another night on, even if it means a really nice meal, could just add to the exhaustion that they have. 
I know our family for half of the summer, when you're supposed to have some downtime and take a breather, half of the summer, every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday night is already booked. And if you asked me if I wanted another busy night or some time with our fam bam at our house, well, that's a really easy decision. Offer to hire somebody that they know and trust with their kids. Say, hey, I want you to have a nice night out. Do something. You plan the details. Let me know the day. I'll pick up the tab, and I'll pay for the babysitting for a few hours. Ask if you can bring them dinner. What kind of meals do they enjoy? Come find me in the lobby afterwards if you don't know. I know our staff pretty well. If I can't answer a question, I can tell you really quickly who they trust with their kids and what kind of food they like. Ask if there is a class, a dance class, a gymnastics class, maybe a sport that you can pay for for the kids to be in over the summer. If you are meeting with them for coffee or lunch, try to do it during the day rather than on nights and weekends, and don't offer to pay. Simply just grab the bill and pay for it. Then there's not this awkward, you, me, who's doing this? Just grab it and don't even let that go to chance. You treat them. If you have no idea what to do, go up to them and say this. Say, hey, I want to do something nice for you, but I don't really know you, so here's the amount of money I was looking to spend. Why don't you talk about it and let me know how I can best spend that and serve you? That way it doesn't matter if it's $2 for a favorite candy bar. I've been there to where that's all I could afford for somebody. Or it's $100 for a nice night out or a good time together. The honor is what matters. So honor your church staff. Church staff, I'm going to focus on you for just a minute. Michael's hanging out in the lobby. I know he hears this right now. Other church staff, as they pick this up on the podcast or on YouTube this week, this is not when you say when somebody offers to do something nice for you. You do not say, well, that's really nice, but, man, I really appreciate that. That's so great of you to offer, but, no, uh uh-uh, church staff, shut up. Do not say that. Your response is simply to say, that would be really great. Thank you. Church staff, don't you dare steal the joy of somebody following Jesus' teaching. Don't you be the person who stops somebody from showing honor. It's interesting that I'm saying this. A friend of ours sent out a group text to a few people this week. He said, hey, can I buy anybody coffee today? And one of the other people on the text who I know buys coffee regularly, enjoys coffee, adamantly turned down this offer for coffee every way that she could because she didn't want somebody else to buy her coffee. We, especially Christian people, have this major problem with accepting gifts from other people, especially when we don't have something to give back in return. Church staff accept the gift. And this doesn't just apply to our staff, but it applies to all of us universally as well. If you turn down a gift, you are stopping someone from following Biblical teaching. Let that sink in for a minute. Somebody hears the message or they read the Bible, they're digging in in their own lives and they're wanting to do and follow what Jesus teaches and they're trying to act on that, but you're stopping that from happening because your pride gets in the way. Get over yourself. Do not be that person. Whenever somebody treats you with honor, accept the gift. I don't care how hard it is for you to do so. Today, as we do every day, we're going to look to the Bible to help us kind of emphasize this point of honor and figure out more about what does the Bible say about who we should honor. So we're going to look at the book of Romans, 
Romans chapter 13, verse 7 says, Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, then pay taxes. If it's revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then give honor. And normally in the weeks leading up to when I'm up here, I do some digging into the context to help us all kind of understand better the picture of what the Bible is talking about. But luckily for me, there's this really smart dude who is also a pastor. His name is Carl. He did all of that homework for me. So I'm just stealing it and acting like it's mine and telling you what Carl already figured out. Paul wrote this letter to a group of Christians, people who already believed in Jesus in Rome. The book is called Rome. They were scattered in and around the city. And a few years before this letter was written, there was a dude named Claudius who was the top dog in Roman authority. He was the emperor. And Claudius, for reasons that we don't have time to dig into, gets tired of all the Christians being in his town in Rome, and so he kicks him out. Well, Claudius, what about my job? I don't care. Get out. What about my family? What about my house? I don't care. Leave. There's another guy whose name is Suetonius. And Suetonius is a historian who verifies that this act happens. And Suetonius is not like Paul. Suetonius did not write the Bible. He is simply a historian of the times. And he found what the emperor did to be so impactful in Rome that we have this second authority verifying that this act happened. And a few years after getting kicked out, Paul is writing this letter to Christians, to the very people who were kicked out. And in this letter, in this specific text that we're looking at today, he is talking about governing authorities. He's talking about the Roman emperor who kicked them out. Put yourself in their shoes. Like, Paul, this dude ruined my life. I didn't get to sell my house. I'm still in financial ruin and bankrupt because this guy kicked me out. Paul, I lost all my friends. My family might have even got separated, and you want me to, to honor this guy? you got to be kidding me, Paul. In today's terms, that might be like me telling you, the church that burned you. That girl at work that talks crap about you all day long, but sure is nice to your face. The person that you poured your heart out to to try to help, but really they just stomped all over it. The woman who walked out on you and the kids. The husband who walks in the door and says, hey, we need to sit down. I got to tell you something. I struggle with pornography. You want me to honor them? Listen, man, I was down with you about the church staff thing because that's cool and that's good and they work hard. But I don't know about all this other stuff. I don't know about when honor gets hard. When you follow Jesus, honor is based on my character, not your conduct. Honor is based on my character and not your conduct. And this has nothing to do with the other people or person. This is 100% based on you. You are ridiculously in control of your decision to choose honor. It doesn't matter how badly you think people suck. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. Nothing beyond you matters. It doesn't matter if it's like this person over here that I wish was hearing this message or this person at work who really needs to hear this. No, this is about you. You are ridiculously in control of your decision to choose honor. And a lot of times we play games in our mind as to how we can work around this. Like CT, this dude likes, like he supports Trump. Or maybe it's, she voted for Hillary. What about when somebody lies to you? When they cause pain to people that you love and you're watching those people walk through that pain? What if it's an emperor who just on a whim said, get out, I don't care, and I lost everything because I had to leave? 
I don't care what that person said on social media. I do not care if they said something on Facebook that you don't like. I don't care how much you disagree politically across the divide. I don't care if you hear something in a sermon that makes you mad. I don't care. You are ridiculously in control of your decision to choose honor. Look at your life and what you do when honor gets hard. That's an indication to how close you are to the heart of Jesus. If you only choose honor when you think other people deserve it, you don't fully understand the picture of who Jesus is. After all, it is somewhere else in the Bible that tells us to feed our enemies and give them water when they are thirsty. This was written by a man named Solomon, who's one of the wisest people who ever lived. As a Christian, God is calling you to set the standard and treat others as uncommon, whether you think they deserve it or not. He's not calling you to do anything more than he expected of his own son. Jesus treats you, Jesus treats me according to conduct, not according to our conduct, but according to his character. He treats us as uncommon. He did this his whole entire life. The Bible also tells us that we all fall short in sin and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus doesn't treat us as we deserve. He treats us as uncommon. And this is seen in a gift of honor when he died on the cross for us so that we could have right relationship with God our Father Again, this message, honestly, it's been really hard for me to write. Normally, I enjoy the writing process and living out what I teach, but this has been really hard to write, but the timing has been uncanny. When Michael and I were talking about the sermon series and he was pointing out texts in the Bible and asking me to kind of dig deeper into it in my own time, it was ironically the exact same time that we were picking out an apartment. You know what I wanted. I wanted my dream. I wanted the serenity, the golden hour, the peace. No offense to my kids, but no kids. I wanted my dream. Rachel wanted something on the other side of the complex with no view, but it had a room that could be a playroom for our girls. Came down to virtually the exact price. So price was out the window. And at first I was like, dang it, Michael, couldn't we have just had this conversation a week later so I could have picked my apartment in peace? But I had a decision to make. I was going to choose honor regardless, but I was going to choose it for myself or I was going to choose it for my wife and my two girls. I wish I could tell you I lovingly chose my family and it was all smiles and a great conversation and carefree, but sometimes being a Christian man sucks and I don't like it. I knew what the right decision was, but I fought it every way in my head to figure out how can I work around this so I can get what I want. And maybe we're starting to identify now because you're starting to clue into what this looks like in your life as well. You feel nudges from God, but you ignore them, or God is showing you how you can give honor. But if you're just really honest with yourself, it is very difficult to live out. Ask yourself, how do I struggle with honor the most. Make this personal. You, not your family, not the person across the room. You, how do I struggle with honor the most? Who do I struggle to honor the most? For me, those questions are very easy to answer. Uh, In my 20s, I was poor. I was young and grinding and living on hopes and a dream. And in a nine-year period, I totaled it up this week. In a nine-year period, I made $171,000 
which just that number sounds like a lot, but divide that by nine, that equals $19,000 a year before taxes were taken out. So I was struggling financially, and needless to say, the cars that I owned at that time were special. Uh, One car I owned got a hole in the muffler as often as Michael says, you're crushing it. Or as often as a Baltimore, Washington, D.C. sports team disappoints you. Both equally apply. Uh, When it rained, I got a pool of water at my feet near the pedals, and I had the honor of scraping the outside and the inside of my windshield so that I could take off and drive. The AC worked when it wanted to. I had a car that was two different colors, and it was affectionately named Squeaks because that's all it did. Everybody knew when I was on campus. One car I had emitted a strange smell that made you dizzy when you had the heat on for too long. And this is a true story. Driving down the interstate in one of my cars, a part of the engine pops out. The car catches on fire on the interstate. I'm stranded in the middle of nowhere in Kentucky and taken in by a drug dealer for the weekend. My cars were the original sad dog commercial before Sarah McLaughlin had that sad dog commercial. In the arms of the angel. CT's cars are here. I can laugh about it now and make funny jokes because I'm in a different position, but it was very real in that time. And beyond tithing, I scratched and clawed for every dollar I could. And five bucks meant food, which was a really big deal. And a lot of a paycheck meant rent, which was a really big deal. So still to this day, financially, I approach life like this. And I... I struggle to give. What I struggle with the most is being generous and treating others with my money. This is one of the reasons why I want to teach FPU, because I know God calls us to give and to do it as a cheerful and joyful giver, and I struggle with this. Maybe you understand what it means for money to be really tight, but maybe you've got a lot of free time. How much YouTube do you watch? Video games do you play? Do you have a skill or a craft, a gift that you can use to honor people? Maybe in your life, honor means I'm going to initiate the conversation of forgiveness that needs to happen. Or going up to somebody and saying, hey, I need to apologize to you because I know that I was wrong and restoring peace in a relationship. Maybe honor means trusting God with your money and giving to the church. So however you struggle today, I'm going to give us some practical tips as takeaway, and I'm going to specifically focus on the month of June. And Michael told us last week, if we put the principles of this series into practice, it will radically change your daily habits in your life. And I believe that to be true of these four points as well. I'm going to focus on the month of June again. And honestly, I wrote these for myself, although they're universally applicable. So think about how you struggle with honor the most. And just as a forewarning, if you are married or engaged, talk to your love swear first, okay? I don't want to start fights with Rachel because I'm giving away money that she doesn't know about. I also want her to be involved in the process. So practical tip number one is to pray. I'm going to spend the month of June praying that God would give me chances to give away my money. And it's hard to say that. And I don't, I, me, don't want to do that. But I know it's a place that I can grow in my relationship with God. It's going to stretch me, but I need to be stretched. Number two, act. 
Praying is not enough. We can pray and feel nudges from God and then ignore them and sleep okay that night because we know we're ignoring God and the next day be just fine. But I am committing with my wife, Rachel, to acting upon whatever we feel God calling us towards to treat others with honor financially. Number three is to write it down. I want to use this as a way to grow my relationship in God and, and grow my trust in who God is. I also, just practically speaking, want to be able to look back at the end of the month and say, here's all these resources I was not planning on giving away, but I can still see that God is taking care of me and my family. And the last one is accountability. There are two people in my life who have very specific and full access to ask me and interrupt my life to question how I am doing with this, to hold me accountable. You have the freedom to come up and ask me how I'm doing with this. I may not tell you the specifics or get into all the details, but you have freedom to help hold me accountable with this in the month of June. I'll close out today by saying this. The last time I preached, we were in the middle of a series about a guy named David from the Old Testament, and we were learning about who he was, and you've probably heard of the story of David and Goliath before. But David, with a sling and a stone, is able to throw that stone with such force that it sinks into the forehead of Goliath, instantly killing him. Now, how in the world is David able to throw a stone in the one place on Goliath's entire body that armor does not cover? It's because slinging stones is something he'd done hundreds and thousands of times before. It was a regular part of what he did. Every shepherd worth their job slung stones on a regular basis. They did this to drive away animals that they didn't want to eat their sheep. They did this to drive the sheep to where they wanted them to go in order to graze. So when David had to do this, when I assume his heart was literally pounding in his chest, hundreds and thousands of people are gathered around and literally death is on the line. It's either David or the guy across from him. One of them is going to die. David, natural precision takes over and he wins the day. I want to give honor like David slings stones to not even think about it, to make it a regular part of my days and my life. That way, when life gets hard or when people suck or when life is great, it doesn't matter because honor isn't even a choice. It's a natural instinct that makes my biggest fears crumble. Jesus continually shows me honor even when I don't deserve it. And if I want to be more like him, I need to give that as well. I want to give honor the way David slings stones. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you that you are challenging me in this process of honor and what honor looks like. And I pray that we can all be courageous enough to take that first step towards honoring other people when and how it gets hard in our own life. God, we thank you that you are the demonstration of what honor looks like and you continually give us honor and treat us as uncommon time and time again, even when we don't deserve it. It's in your son's name, amen.